0: Welcome to AAUP presents a podcast by the American Association of University Professors. I'm your host for today, Kelly Benjamin, and today on the show we're speaking with Florida State Representative Michelle Rayner on legislative bills that would impact academic freedom in higher education.
1: Thank you, thank you so much. It's good to see you. If it's okay, I'd like to just jump right in to
0: some of these some of these bills. I first want to get your comment on the overall trajectory of the Florida legislature and and nationwide on issues around critical race theory. And I'd love to get your take on that in relation to the individual freedom bill that and DeSantis has really made a top priority. What is your take on what's happened?
1: I mean, bluntly, it's trash, right? It is, it is, You know, red meat at its finest. It is culture wars at its finest. But what is, I think, extremely um, concerning, extremely harmful is that we know that this is nothing but made up rhetoric people who are are learning it, and especially those who would be listening to this podcast know that critical race theory was developed by Kimberly Crenshaw it is something that is taught at a graduate level it is something that is taught in law school and we're really looking at how racism and sexism misogyny and so forth has really affected the systems of oppression here in the in the United States there is not a second grader alive that is learning this right there's not a, I mean I learned it from my mama but I, <laughs> but there's not a second grader alive that's learning it in their in their um in their elementary school and they know that but because it is a hot button word. And because this was an agenda that was introduced at CPAC and ALEC, this is, uh, and because, you know, quite frankly, Kelly, I don't think that we have people that um, are really paying attention with intention. Be, and I think that's what uh, the leadership in the Florida House and really throughout the country who kind of err on this side of belief are banking on because people got to work. They got to take care of the kids. And it's not that they don't want to pay attention with intention, but they have life that they can say these One or two buzzwords, and then you know we're off to the races. And so um, it's it's very it's deeply disturbing because especially here in Florida there are a lot of crises that we are having. Um, And if you listen to the other side, it it sounds like it's all sunflowers and roses, except for critical race theory, and except for gay folks, and except for Black folks, and trans folks, and anybody that doesn't that's not a Republican, a white Republican, cisgender heterosexual male, then everything is fine, you know? And so um, I, I think that it's just, it's it's just uh, an incredible, harmful distraction.
0: I'm curious your thought on the, the timing of this, because, you know, in, in 2020, we saw a national uprising with the George Floyd protests. And here we are with a nationwide strategy to not talk about race and racism anymore, because, uh-oh, look what's happening. People are uh, you know, com- coming out and saying enough, and we want to change the entire system. So, you know, what what is your take on really the the, the overall strategy that the right seems to have to stifle conversations, honest conversations, uh, both in K through 12 and higher ed? I mean, you're right, it's not being taught, uh, as we know, across the country in these classrooms, but they're really tra- even making it hard for people to talk about Black History Month. How do you talk about Black History Month without talking about racism?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's several things at work here. It's several things that one. I think that there's a handful of folks who are afraid that they are being uh, pushed out or being erased or the browning or the blackening of America. So, what? Do you, how do you? How do you keep control? I mean, Kelly, you're highly intelligent. How do you keep control? What has been done throughout history? You other people, you other people, you make them the boogeyman, you make them the person that the people that are, we don't want to, uh, you know, we we don't want to have contact with, we don't want to deal with you other than. So when you other them, that is, that's a form of keeping power. And that's what we're seeing in real time. Also, I think the other thing that we're seeing in real time is that, yes, the reason that there was an outcry of what happened with George Floyd, not only was it the most horrific thing that we've seen, but one we were in a pandemic, so we didn't have the ability to turn our, our face away from the, from the screen. Like everyone was at home. Everyone was sheltering in place. No one was out. So we, it it was right here in our faces. And so then, you know, the conversation about race in a way that I feel like in recent years, really, maybe since the civil rights movement, um, we had to have it in a real, real intentional way. And so I think that, and what I saw, what I personally saw, I saw even folks that I was surprised to say that were like, yeah, this is wrong. And I'm like, okay. Okay, I I didn't that was not on my bingo card for this year. And I think that some of the Republican leadership, they're concerned and they're worried. And then I think the other part is, is that, you know, we have these men that are, you know, vying for the nomination of their party. and, And the issue becomes who can be more audacious, who can be more. Uh bombastic. Who can be more of, of leaning into the base? And I think the scary part and why Ron Sanchez is so scary, and why I think what he represents is so sinister. He is a more palatable Donald Trump. He is educated for real. He has degree, two degrees from Ivy League, uh Ivy League schools. He has a beautiful family, and he's able to be as bombastic, but not in a way where it is. Ultimately, you know, you know, you're repulsed by it. And I think that's what's really, to me, the scarier part about what we see unfolding here in in Florida and across the country.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing it in higher education manifest in stopping professors from testifying in voting rights cases that might challenge uh, the narrative coming from the DeSantis administration and, and being stifled. They, they launched a lawsuit, yeah. and, and now the university uh, kind of has egg on its face and has come out and said, oh, well, now they can testify. But there's this bill in the legislature now talking about switching accreditors, and it potentially could make it uh, mandatory. And I was wondering if you've been following that bill. I think it was put forth by Manny Diaz. I'm curious if that is getting any traction in Tallahassee right now.
1: I have not seen that bill, but the one that I think that has been really, that is really scary and they tried it last year and it's coming back again this year is the presidential search. So I don't know if that particular bill, the one that Manny Diaz uh, supported, that I've not seen it in any of my committees, nor have I seen it on the floor yet. But I know when we're thinking about higher education, to your point, I was incredibly concerning That they are, you know, uh, trying to stifle voices of tenured professors, you know, and there's always, you know, in higher ed, there's always, you know, tenured is your protection, right? Like you are, you work to get tenured, you're able to say what you want to say and do the things you need to do. And especially, you know, stifling those voices when it comes to an issue such as voting rights, <laughs> you know what I mean? And really, once again, the governor using the power of the legislature, the power of the purse to essentially chill the speech of professors and intellectuals regarding our, our most fundamental right.
0: You know, AAP put out a statement on this presidential search bill, cautioning about the, the, the lack of transparency you know, what What do you think the motive is to keep these searches secret?
1: I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I'm not going to call names because my team would like want to like, you know, tackle this, uh, tackle me in this interview. There are certain folks that are who have been in power or adjacent to power here in Florida, in Florida government that want to become a president of a university and there's a lot of like backroom dealing quid pro quo that's happening right and so i think that for them it is able to allow them to do all of these to kind of hide behind this cloak and i think then you know until it, and it it's almost essentially too late for the public to be like whoa wait the math isn't mathing right here. How mm-hmm. come this person is doing this? What, let's look into this and then you know, all of a sudden there are the newly minted president of some university. I think that they wanted to get this through last year um, because I know Florida State at that time was looking for a president and there was someone specifically was interested in that role. However, um, because of certain rules and ethics rules, it would have probably been an issue and they weren't They weren't able, they didn't even apply. So this is not, and, and, and I say this to folks and I say this especially to folks on the Democratic side, everything is that the Republicans do here in the state of Florida. They've been in power in the legislature and in the governor's mansion for 25 years. Everything is a chess move. Everything is this, this bill relates to another bill that relates to another bill. And then it's only at the end of session till you're worn out and tired. You're like, dear God, what that just happened. And that's kind of what this is. This is, this is not the, you know, this whole, you know, whole idea of like, we just want to keep it quiet. And we just want to make sure people are okay. It's not that it is very much. We want to do what we want to do. We want to be able to put in power. We want to be put in power. And how is the best way to control the system and control the narrative?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. What the Association of Professors is is really pushing is for faculty participation in this process, and that also seems like a a prime motivation is to not have, especially as there's this war on higher ed taking place, it's denying faculty a voice or opportunities to meet with these candidates who are applying to lead their institutions Uh, during these challenging times, particularly with, we have four universities right now, to my knowledge, in the state of Florida. That are seeking Mm presidents, And uh, here we are with with all of these crises pertaining to academic freedom taking place in the state. It's egregious in Florida, but it's it's also happening nationally, obviously, particularly in red states. And, uh, you know, I'm curious, is this bill moving? Is this going to
1: pass? you know, last year it it was, it did not pass. This year, it looks like it's going to move and it looks like it may pass. Um, I don't know where it's at, at least out of the house. I don't know where it is going to happen in the Senate, but I think that they have been able to make some concessions and get some support in the Senate. So I think that you may see this pass. And, and, and here's the thing, Kelly, I, I feel like we can talk about the culture war bills, but there's also been some really dark bills such as this, uh, the union, unionizing bills, when it, we're coming, talking about that, when we're talking about, um, which I know that, you know, higher ed professors have are very deeply concerned about the the change to the unionizing union busting bill. Um, I'm thinking about some of the housing bills. So, you know, while we're playing games with these culture wars, not only are we like stripping rights at a high visible level, but we're stripping rights even at a level that maybe folks don't really understand the impact until it's too late. And so when we have bills like this that are you know, not allowing our faculty to be involved in the process, not allowing the public to be involved in the process in a very transparent way, why are we hiding? Florida has one of the most open sunshine public records laws in the country, and we have that for a reason. And so why are we not allowing folks to be bought in into the process and to really understand and know what's going on with regard to these presidential searches and so many other things?
0: Do you see there any hope in stopping the anti-CRT legislation or do you think that this is happening?
1: I mean, I think all of the things, I mean, you saw happen with the abortion bill. I think the CRT is going to happen. I think that the uh, don't say gay bill is going to happen because these are things that Ron DeSantis specifically said that he wants. And especially because right now we're in a fight with the congressional redistricting, right? We're in a fight with them. And I think that uh, Governor DeSantis has said that he is not going to sign any bill that doesn't any map that doesn't look like his. So I think that what if I'm if I if I'm a betting woman, right, what I would do is I would give him everything else that he wants so we can pass the maps and we don't have to come back, right, and try to cut some kind of deal. So I do foresee these bills happening and not passing, not because that people are like so gung ho about them, but I foresee them passing because it's, it's a way to cut a deal and, and to move the process along.
0: How do you see these bills once implemented manifesting in the classroom with our students?
1: I think a lot of it is going to be the, all of these bills in my, in my opinion, have been written very ambiguously. I think they've been written ambiguously and vague for a reason that it's to cause a legal challenge. Um, I think it is to cause a legal challenge in order for our very uh, conservative Supreme Courts and even district courts of appeals to um really kind of make and codify and interpret the law. So one, I think what's going to happen that there's going to be some parent that's going to have to file a lawsuit and that's going around surrounding any one of the cause of actions in these bills. And then I think that with all of these things are going to be litigated. And then I think the court is going to either make the decision that they're going to kind of figure out what the legislator's intent is. And that intent may be more harmful than even the legislation itself, because it's codifying into case law what educators and what schools can and cannot do or the or the uh the court is going to say that this bill is unconstitutional those are the only two ways to go Mm -hmm.
0: it is very ambiguous i mean how do you interpret the discussion of the history of slavery in this country without making somebody some person in some place feel uncomfortable right let's not let's not have any more uncomfortable white people Bill. it appears to be and you're saying that there's no stopping it until we get to the litigation uh,
1: i mean that's what i that's what i feel like that's what i say i mean i don't see how how anywhere else that this can be stopped. And I think for me, ultimately, like to your point, you know, I want people to be uncomfortable about racism and enslaved people. I want people to be uncomfortable about Japanese internment. I want people to be uncomfortable about the Holocaust. I want people to be uncomfortable about Jim Crow. I want people to be uncomfortable about, um, about the lack of immigrant rights that we have here in our country. I want people to be uncomfortable about what has happened to LGBTQ folks and, and women and, and, and other, you know, folks who have been marginalized because if we're uncomfortable and if it makes us feel gross, if it makes us feel like, I don't want to see this happen, then we are not bound to repeat it. And so that to me is, you know, the uncomfortableness. And I think the issue is with the CRT bill, it's not only is the bill itself in writing, but I think the other aspect of it is the entire rhetoric that's been around it. And it's, to me, it's based in white supremacy. It's based in that, we want to maintain this level of power and and the way that the governor and other folks have spoken about people of color and lgbtq people does not make me feel warm and fuzzy like you really have our best interests at heart right and so it's very 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 concerning
0: thank you Uh, i i appreciate that synopsis um in, in in terms of the legislature it seems like it must be an incredibly depressing place to work <laughs> uh, and and i've've I've heard tell that you're considering making some changes in 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 your career path can uh you enlighten me a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I will tell you, I actually like the work that I do in the house. I don't like being in the session because it is really kind of like hard and it's violent, but I like, because I mean, you have people who are actively telling you your life doesn't matter, but I like to be able, I love the work that I do on the ground and in the community of being able to advocate for our, our constituents. And, uh, we did a, 21 things that we've accomplished in 2021 and i was like oh this is the the beautiful part of it that none of it was capped none of it was like oh well you know i didn't have to finesse anything i was like oh wow we were actually able to get a lot of things done but um, as many, uh, as you may know, I am running for Congress. Um, it is, this is the Charlie Crist open seat in St. Petersburg. And I was approached by folks in the community um, to run. And at first I was like, no, I don't think I'm going to do it. And then I looked at the field of folks in the Democratic primary and those who are the Republican. And I'm like, why are we giving people the same type of folks to vote for? And I think for me, it's, I don't want to have a message of, you know, I want you to vote for me because you have no other choice. I want you to vote for me because, you know, I'm, I, I am for you. And I think that that's what makes me the clear difference in this particular race. And for me, I think that also why I'm running for Congress is that we have seen throughout history when the states are doing things like they're doing right now, that it has been the federal government to have to step in and say, ah, ah, we're not going to let you do it. We know we don't codify voting rights. Ah, you no, we got to codify this. We got to codify that, and now that abortion is on the line, and now more than ever row needs to be codified into 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 law with voting that's on the line, with LGBTQ rights that are on the line, and Black and Brown folks' rights, and and when we're thinking about justice and policing, all of those things. And because the state is not willing to move, then we need to have folks in the federal government, in Congress, and in the Senate that's going to say since you. I don't want to do the will of the people. We're going to do the will of the people because I think what the message the Republicans are sending and, and Republican leadership is sending that there are more people with them than there are more people with us. And I don't believe that's true. I believe that there's far more moral-minded folks in this nation and in this state. But once again, we have to make sure that we're sending representation that actually reflects that.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, you you painted a bit of a dismal picture for this session in particular uh, in in Tallahassee, and I appreciate the, the, the realism, the realistic view from the inside. But what do you feel that academics, professors, people who work in higher ed can do to stand up against these attacks, these attacks on academic freedom? Uh, against the accurate teaching of our history, you know, against the the stifling of you know coming to evidence-based conclusions that propel higher education forward. What can people do in the state of Florida to take action?
1: I think one of the things that y'all are already doing. I mean, I will tell you. To be quite honest, the reason that I probably am in this role and world is that I had a professor, Dr. Petra Doan, in um, undergrad and in graduate school who just um, opened me up to things in ways that I've never Thought I could be opened up to, and so I, I always salute um, folks who are in higher ed because I think a lot of times for many, for many students, they are y'all are the first stop of them ever thinking about something in a different way, right? Um, a lot, you may have that in high school, but most certainly in higher ed. So one of the things I, I would say is, A, keep teaching, keep teaching the accurate history, keep doing, being, having the academic rigor that y'all have. But number two, keep writing, keep speaking, um, and as much in as much as you can to make sure that you can feed your families and protect your jobs and all of those kinds of things. And also, I would say, you know, during a lot of these uh, committee hearings, we've had a lot of representation, um, people coming to testify who are part of the higher ed community, who are part of the... the the Association of University Professors and all of those kinds of things. Keep coming, keep making your voice heard. And I think that we understand, at least for me, I've always had an understanding that it was intellectuals, it was the professors, it was the folks in higher ed that have helped shape the course and policy of this country. And so to me, the voices that y'all have are such a vital voice because even as someone who is in the political realm, I look to y'all to kind of read like when I'm thinking about policy in a different way, when I'm thinking about how does this legislation affect, there's a place that the intellectuals, the public intellectuals like yourselves have that are able to kind of coalesce us into a way where we need to go, even though it looks dismal that they're able to. And that's why I think people were so scared when you had these like faux intellectuals talking about COVID's not real. No, 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 no. Like, so, I mean, I think that there's such great influence that y'all have. And so I would just say, continue doing that, continue in that tradition.
0: Well, th- thank you for that. And, Representative Rayner, I know you're very busy. Thank you so much for your time today. That will do it for our show today. Check out the show notes for more links and resources, as well as our website, aaup.org. You can also listen to episode five of AAUP Presents, where Paul Ortiz, professor of history at the University of Florida and president of the United Faculty of Florida at UF, takes us through what's been happening with attacks on academic freedom on campus. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Benjamin.
1: A quick update on the podcast. When the episode was recorded, a bill Kelly and Michelle discussed that would make public college presidential searches in Florida secret had not passed the state legislature. It has since passed, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is expected to sign it. A link to an article about that bill can be found in the show notes.